This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. If I were to ask you when the first sin in the Bible occurs, what would you say? You might point to Genesis 2 when Adam and Eve ate fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But did you know that their actions in eating that fruit in Genesis 2 is not referred to as sin? Now, yes, they did something that God told them not to do, and in that sense, it was disobedience. Uh, but sin isn't actually mentioned until Genesis 4-7, which is one of the verses we're looking at today. We'll be looking at verses 6 and 7. And hey, if you're interested after today's podcast episode in learning more about this topic of sin, I go into great detail about sin in my online theology course, which I am currently working on. For the members of my site. I already have one course up there called The Gospel According to Scripture, but I'm working on a second course in which I look at 52 key words of the gospel. Uh, To properly understand the gospel, you need to know the meaning of these 52 words. But to take my course, uh, you have to be a registered member of RedeemingGod.com. You go to RedeemingGod.com slash register to get started. There's three membership levels. The first one is free. There's the Faith, Hope, and Love membership levels. That first one, Faith, is free. There's a a fee for the Hope and Love memberships, either a monthly fee or an annual fee. I tried to keep both of them pretty low. Anyway, if if you join one of those second two membership levels, the Hope or Love membership levels, you can take my online courses for free. They're usually $299 each, but if you become a Hope or Love member then you get the course, all of my courses, for free. There's one there already, and I am hard at work on a second one and hope to have it out soon. Anyway, to learn more and uh, choose the membership level that's right for you, just go to redeeminggod.com slash register. Can't wait to see you on the inside. Let's get on with our study of Genesis 4, 6, and 7. So Genesis 4 may be one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. I'm not exaggerating there. I understand that a lot of the chapters in the New Testament, especially those in the Gospel, are critically important. But I think you need an understanding of what is happening in Genesis chapter 4 in order to properly understand The incarnation of Jesus and many of the events in the Gospels and a lot of what Paul writes about in his letters and so on. Of course, it's not just uh, understanding Scripture that Genesis 4 is helpful for, but also understanding religion and society, culture, human history. Uh, Genesis 4 is the foundation for pretty much everything. At least some of the ideas in Genesis 4 provides a foundation for, for pretty much everything. Uh, And uh, Genesis 4, 6 through 8 are probably the central verses 
in this chapter. So that means since Genesis 4 is a central chapter and verses 6 through 8 are central verses, these three verses, Genesis 4, 6, 7, and 8, are three of the most important verses in the Bible. Uh, The two twin truths in these verses are in reference to sin and death. Uh, Verses 6 and 7 talk about sin, and then verse 8 talks about death. It's too much to cover in one episode, so I'm going to cover verses 6 and 7 in this episode, looking at the issue of sin, and then next week we will look at the issue of death, the problem of death, from Genesis 4.8. All right, so Genesis 4, 6, and 7 contains the first mention of sin in the Bible, and as a result, it contains some key insights into the true problem of sin. You may think you know what sin is, but these verses reveal something else entirely. Uh, What these verses say about sin really is sort of a shock to most people. Uh, The way we often think about sin doesn't usually match up very well with what these verses say about sin, how they introduce, define, and explain sin. So, let us uh, to see this, let's just briefly consider the verses, study through them real quickly, and, uh, and then wrap up with sort of some summary thoughts about what they revealed about sin. All right, you remember what's going on here then. In Genesis 4, verses 4 and 5, Cain brought an offering of fruit to God, and then Abel brought an offering from his flock. God, of course, you remember, respected Abel and his offering, but did not accept Cain's. We've talked about why this was in previous episodes. The bottom line in all of those is that um, God is most concerned not really with what Cain brought, but why. Uh, When you understand Cain's backstory and the narrative, the worldview that he had, we see that Cain was trying to manipulate God. Cain thought that God was angry at Adam and Eve, at Cain's parents, for eating the forbidden fruit. And Cain thought that by giving fruit to God, he could get God to give something in return to them. Namely, to allow Cain, his brother, his parents, you know, his family, to get back into the Garden of Eden. He was trying to manipulate God, give to God to get something from God. Now, Abel's offering, though, was simply an imitation of his older brother. It was an offering out of thanksgiving, and and that's why Abel's offering was accepted. But anyway, that brings us up to the verses we're looking at today. And of course, when Cain sees that his brother's offering is accepted and his is not, he gets angry. Uh, Verse 4, 6, Genesis 4, 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? All right, so why was Cain angry? Uh, The reason again is part of that backstory. You have to understand Cain's backstory to understand why. Remember, he had been raised with this idea that he would be the one to rescue, uh, to, to deliver his family from their exile in the garden. He would be the savior of his family, the one who would make things right with God, the one who would, who would get God to let them all go back to the Garden of Eden. All right, so Here, when Cain's offering is turned down by God and Abel's is accepted, what does Cain think? (laughs) He thinks that his position as the savior of the family is now being given to Abel. Cain believes that Abel 
is now going to be the one who will rescue and deliver the family from their exile. Again, Cain's always thought he was going to be the one to do this. He doesn't like the idea that this privilege, this responsibility, this honor is getting passed to his younger brother. Now, you and I know that Abel isn't the one who is going to rescue, deliver his family either. Uh, Abel, we, Abel also, we know, wasn't trying to take Cain's place. But Cain didn't know any of this. And so his envy and his jealousy grew. Uh, Cain believed that his, his brother was his rival. They became rivals at this point. Cain no longer saw Abel as a, as a friend or a brother, but as competition for what Cain was trying to do in life. Uh, so, so this is a thought process that's going through Cain's mind, and which leads to Cain becoming angry. And so God, in verse 7, says to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? All right, so in this first part of, the, of verse 7, uh, God tells Cain that he doesn't have to give offerings of fruit to God for God to love him, for God to accept him. Uh, God just wants Cain to do well. And in fact, the word here for do well is tov in Hebrew, means good. And it's the same word that God used repeatedly in Genesis chapter 1 after he made certain things on certain days. God saw all that he had made and it was very good, that it was good. All right, so tov, that's the word. And, and he's using the same word here. And I believe it's in reference to the good things that God had given to humans to do in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, after God created Male and female, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, he gave them good things to do, and then God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. That includes the instructions that he had given to them. So what God is telling Cain here, that if you do well, if you do good, do the good which I gave you to do, is that he's saying, if you just do the things I told humans to do, the things I told your parents to do, that's all I want. I don't need these offerings of of fruit from you. I never instructed your parents to give me offerings like this, and, and I never instructed you. So, so, so you, you don't need to give me offerings. You don't need to give me this fruit. <laughs> I gave the fruit to you. You don't need to give it to me. Just, so just go do good. Go do the things that I told you to do. That, that'll, that's going to be good enough. That will be, you will be accepted if you do those things. By the way, God's not implying that there's some situation in which Cain will not be accepted. God is simply saying uh, to, to Cain that he doesn't need to have Cain give any offerings because Cain is already accepted by God, along with Cain's family and parents and brother. And God simply wants them to do the good things that they've already been given to do in life. And that brings us then to the end of verse 7, where we get the crucial statement. God says, And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Okay, so this right here is the first time sin is named or sin is mentioned in the Bible. And so, it's instructive to notice how it is used, and to notice what the context is. So, so first, note that it is closely connected with Cain's attempt to manipulate God by bringing an offering. I think what this means is that 
The first time sin is mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in a religious context. (laughs) You notice that? Uh, Cain has an impulse to give something to God in order to get something from God. And that right there is what much of religion is all about. Doing things, changing things, giving things to God so that we can get things back from him. And that's what Cain was doing. And here, in the context, God says he refers to that impulse as sin. Uh, What this means is that such religious activity is not godly, but is sinful. If, if, If we think, as Cain thought, that God is angry at us, and so we need to do something for God or give something to God in order to get him to love us or, or forgive us or, or welcome us back into his family, then we have fallen prey to the same sin that Cain is struggling with here. God wants you and I to know that we are accepted just as we are. We are accepted. There's nothing we need to do, no special activity. God loves us, forgives us, accepts us, no matter what. So that's the first thing that we need to notice here and take from the text. Second, though, notice that the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible, it is mentioned in the context of desire. God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. Do you recall the significance of desire from Genesis chapter 3? I mentioned it numerous ways and numerous times when we talked about this. Uh, the birth of desire was as early was, was early on in Genesis 3 when the serpent came and tempted Eve, and Eve saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes, that it was desirable to make one wise. So what she is desiring there early in Genesis chapter 3 is the wisdom of God. She thought that God was withholding wisdom from her, and she thought that by eating of the fruit, she could gain what God had. Of course, after she and Adam eat from the fruit, uh, God then tells Eve, later in the chapter, when he's telling them the consequences of their actions, he says that her desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over her. And when we studied that verse, we learned that uh, this is not a, a... a prescription of the way things should be. Some people read it that way. See, men are supposed to rule over women. No, uh, God is, inst- he's, not, he's not prescribing. He's not saying, this is the way it's going to be from now on. No, God is saying, this is the way it will be from now on. Um, what, what happened, remember, way back in, in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, God created man and woman, male and female, in the image of God. They were to rule and reign over creation together, side by side, as partners, all right? One was not superior or better or preeminent over the other. But now, in Genesis 3, God says, your desire will be for your husband. In other words, you are going to desire to rule over him. There's going to be competition. There's going to be rivalry between the two of you. Eve, you're going to desire to have first place, but I'm sad to say it, he will rule over you. Why? Well, simply for the fact that, like it or not, men tend to be physically stronger than women. Women have lots of strengths and benefits over men that are better than, you know, better than men, and that's why we're supposed to be partners in this journey. Uh, But because men tend to be the ones who are physically stronger, they tend to win that power struggle 
about who gets to rule over the other one. That's what, that's what uh, God is saying there in, G- in Genesis chapter 3. So in here in verse 7 then, we, we have this picture of desire again coming in, and uh, God basically says the exact same thing to Cain as God had said to Eve, but with a very important twist. Uh, in Genesis 3, God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And here, God tells Cain that sin's desire is for, is for Cain, and he should rule over it. And especially this idea that sin lies or crouches, I really like the translation of crouches at your door, sort of gives the picture of a devouring lion or a beast sitting in line in wait for its prey. That's really the way sin is and its desire. And that's what God is warning Cain. He's saying, look, sin is there. Its desire is for you. It's crouching, lying in wait. It wants to devour you. So don't let it. Instead, you should rule over it. Put it down. Protect yourself against desire. Hmm. Well, what exactly was Cain desiring? Eve desired the fruit because she thought it would make her wise. And then later, God says that she would desire to to, to have first place in the relationship to rule over her husband, but because he was stronger, he would rule over her. What is Cain's desire here? What is sin's desire that it is trying to give to Cain? Well, we've already saw it. Cain desired to be the one who would rescue and deliver his family from exile. Cain wanted to be the savior of the family, the, the deliverer of his family. He thought that this is what he would have been born for. And this is why Cain brought fruit to God, to give God back the fruit his parents had taken. But Abel also brought an offering, and God accepted Abel's offering while not accepting Cain. And when Cain saw this, he felt like his position, his privilege, his role, his power was under attack from Abel. And so now he saw Abel as a threat, as a rival. And so it is in all of this that God warned Cain, Cain's against, this desire for first place, the desire for the power and privilege and preeminence. Abel wasn't wanting this, but Cain didn't see that, and he saw Abel as a rival. His desire was to defeat and overcome his rival. And we'll see how this works out. God has warned Cain here about where desire is leading him. And we'll, we, we know how that works out in Genesis 4.8, but uh, we'll, we'll look at that verse more next week and see how Cain failed to rule over sin, how Cain failed to rule over desire. But to close out this episode, I, I just want to look briefly at what we've learned about sin, okay? When most of us think about sin— we sort of tend to think of think of sin as sort of a moral failure. You know, God has these rules and we break the rules and that's sin. You know, so we, so we sort of view sin as, as a crime against God or maybe a crime against humanity. You know, a word or thought or deed that, that, that creates some sort of debt to God, right? A burden that weighs us down. Now, now, very often, to get a dictionary definition, sometimes sin is defined as missing the mark, right? And, and frankly, that is a good definition of sin. But, but the truth is, is all those ideas, sin as a moral failure, as a burden, as a crime, 
as breaking God's commands. Um, none of those really get at the true heart of the matter when it comes to sin. Uh, Mark Biddle has written an excellent book on this called Missing the Mark. I highly recommend it. There'll be notes in the show notes uh, to, to, so you can go find that as well. A link in the show notes uh, for you to go find that as well. That's at Genesis 4, uh, redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 4, 6, and 7. So uh, you can find it on, on my website. Anyway, um, it is true that sin is best defined as missing the mark. And, and Biddle brings that out in his book. But the, the key to understanding sin is to understand what the mark is that we were aiming for, right? Uh, if sin is missing the mark, then what's the mark? You know, if sin is, you know, sometimes people talk about shooting arrows at a target, and and so you're shooting for the bullseye, and so sin would be missing the bullseye. Well, well, that's fine. That's great. But, but what's the bullseye? What's the target we were shooting for? And the thing is, is many people think that the mark or the goal that we were aiming for is holiness, right? The holiness of God or, or, or morality, you know, obeying God's commandments, obeying God's law. That's the mark, we, we say. That's the target. That's the goal. And so when we aim for that and we miss it, well, then we've sinned. And, and that's what most people, how most people think of sin. But, but, but this, frankly, is not what Scripture reveals, not primarily. What Scripture reveals is that, uh, in fact, let's talk about the mark. What is our goal? What is the mark? What, is, what does God want us to become? What does God want us to do? God's goal for humans, you ready, is not that we become like God, <laughs> but that we become like humans. Remember, God tells Cain, you will be accepted if you do good. (laughs) And what was the good that God wants Cain to do? Well, it was the good that God wanted Adam and Eve to do, and which God wants all of us to do. What is that? Well, again, going back to Genesis 1 and 2, we looked at this in previous episodes. God told, very beginning, God told Adam and Eve to do three things. They were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to tend and care for the plants and animals of the earth, and they were to eat food and enjoy life in creation, on God's earth. All right? (laughs) Be fruitful and multiply, take care of the plants and animals, eat food and enjoy life. Right? Three things. What does all this mean? It means that God, what God wants us to do in life is to be human. He wants us to live. The, 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 the good works which God wants humans to do is to live as human beings in relationships with one another, to take care of plants and animals, and to enjoy the good food that he gives us. <laughs> Those are your responsibilities. Those are your God-given tasks. Those are the things that humans around the world, we enjoy doing them anyway, and guess what? We enjoy them because God made them for us to do, And God wants us to be involved in these things. These are the things that make us human. Now, obviously, there's lots of other things that make us human as well, but these are three of the main tasks. These are three of the first tasks. The bottom line is this. All right, here's the bottom line. God wants humans to do good. And the good he wants us to do is to be human. To live the best human life 
we can. So yes, sin is anything that misses the mark. But the mark, the goal, the target, is not to be like God. (laughs) No, the goal, the God-given goal, is to be human. That means that sin, or missing the mark, is when we fail to be human, or even when we, when we treat others as less than human. Look, look, to state it differently, sin is anything that is dehumanizing, either to ourselves or others. That's what sin is. Sin is anything that is dehumanizing to ourselves or others. Again, in that book on sin, Mark Biddle, he, he really shows this pretty clearly in his book. Lots of biblical detail on this and showing how this works out. Uh, he writes that, that sin is a descent from human behavior to animalistic behavior. Uh, he says that sin is to live and act and think in ways that are subhuman. Therefore, to not sin means to live as fully human. All right, we're cured of sin, you know, not not necessarily by confessing, repenting, gaining forgiveness. I mean, those things help, uh, but they're not the cure. We're we're cured of sin when we actually start to live up to our potential as the human beings that God made us to be. And that is what is going wrong here with Cain's actions and attitude and behavior. All right. First, he's turning away from most of these things that God instructed humans to do. The one thing he probably was doing quite well was tending to the plants. He had a good crop. He was a farmer tending the ground, and he brought forth fruit. That's good. God tells Cain in verse 7, he should continue to do this good thing. All right? But Cain went beyond that, and he saw himself as the savior of his family. What this means is that he was forsaking his relationship with them. He saw himself as somehow superior, that he was going to be the one who would rescue and deliver his family. You know, they had no role in this. He would bear this burden on his own. He would, he would rescue them and deliver them and save them. So, so that, that was a mistake there. God told them to be fruitful, multiply. That's to live in relationship with each other, and, and Cain was forsaken. That second, secondly, though, uh, he wasn't eating the fruit of the land. said he was trying to give the fruit to God. <laughs> and God had given the fruit to him. He said, no, it's not for me. That's for you. You eat that. Give it to your, give it to your brother. Give it to your parents. Give it to them to eat. All right? So God basically says, you know, can you keep the fruit? I don't want it or need it. Uh, and then God tells Cain, you know, and I see this desire, this rivalry welling up in your heart against Abel. Be careful. This desire will ruin your relationships. It will ruin your life. Just go do the good things I've asked you to do. All will be well. Just go do that. Everything will be okay. And that is Genesis 4, 6 and 7. Look, just as we close out, I don't know if this idea of sin is new to you, this idea of morality, this idea of what God wants us to do. But Sometimes we religious folk, we get so wrapped up in everything God wants us to do and obeying the laws and the Ten Commandments and our checklists and did I sin, did I not sin? Look, do yourself a favor and forget it all. Just forget all that. I mean, if you really want to get into it, again, I get into this in my course, uh, this one that I'm preparing, The Purpose of the Law. 
Law is one of the key words. Why did God give us the law? Well, you look through the law, and ultimately the law was intended to, to, to help make us be more human and to treat others as human. It goes right back to what we're seeing here about sin. It's not necessarily about obeying the, the, the commandments and the laws. The law was given to help us be human, treat others like humans. Love God, love others. If you can do that, you fulfilled the law. So the same goes for you and I. Look, get rid of the checklists, the to-do lists, the guilt, the shame, all of that. You're loved, you're accepted, you're forgiven. God just wants you to do good. And what does that mean? He wants you to be you. To be truly you. God's goal for your life is that you discover and become who he made you to be. He doesn't want you to become someone else. He doesn't want you to become Jesus. He doesn't want you to become God. (laughs) No, God wants you to become you. But it's desire and rivalry that comes from desire that is the thing that stops us from becoming who God made us to be. All right, And we're going to see how desire stopped Cain becoming who God wanted Cain to be. And we'll see that when we pick up next week in Genesis 4.8. And don't forget, if you want to learn more about this topic of sin uh, and other gospel-related words like the law, the word law, salvation, forgiveness, blood, atonement, all right, 52 key gospel words. I'm madly at work on this course. I don't know when it's going to be out, but I hope sometime soon. Uh, It's not ready yet, but when it is, it's usually $299, but... Uh, you can take it for free if you are a member of the Hope or Love membership levels on my site. There's three membership levels, Faith, Hope, and Love. It's those last two, Hope or Love, that can take the entire course for free. Uh, If you're part of the the free membership, Faith membership, uh, you can take the first couple lessons for free just to check it out, see if it's right for you. Anyway, learn more about all this. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash register. And uh, you can get all the details there. Thanks so much. And I'll see you there. And I'll see you next week when we look at Genesis 4-8.